Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, January 22nd, 2021. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast Grace Aki. As we have been telling you throughout the week, today is another one of our very special review roundtable episodes in which the three of us will be discussing the new film One Night in Miami, which is currently available via Amazon Prime Video. It is based on a play of the same name by Kemp Powers and is directed by Emmy and Oscar winner Regina King. If you are unfamiliar with Kemp Powers, not only is he a playwright, Not only did he adapt his own play for this film adaptation of One Night in Miami, but he is also the co-writer and co-director of the Disney Pixar film Soul that came out on Christmas on Disney+. Plus. So a very good year for Mr. Powers. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to just write everything good this year, I guess. Seriously. I'm totally fine with that. Um, also, I should mention that for longtime listeners, you will know Jennifer McHugh, my former uh, Some Like It Pop co-host uh, and occasional guest on the Broadway radio airwaves. She actually worked on the world premiere production of One Night in Miami at Los Angeles's Rogue Machine Theater. So uh, so I, I need to talk to her about it. She, I don't. Last I talked to her, she hadn't watched it yet, so I'm interested to see that. But um, on to the, to the film itself, it follows a real life event, but this is a fictionalized version of of one particular night in 1963 when Cassius Clay, who went on to become known as Muhammad Ali, was fighting for the uh, heavyweight championship of the world against Sonny Liston. His friends, Malcolm X, uh, NFL Hall of Famer Jim Brown, and uh, music superstar Sam Cooke were all in town for the fight. And after Cassius Clay won the championship, they had themselves a little party. That is all fairly factually accurate. Um, what Kemp does in this film is kind of fictionalized, as many plays do, um, semi-historic events. And we get to sit in on the dynamics between these four uh, uh, black heavyweight, no pun intended, figures. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to get into this conversation. It's a, a beautiful film, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. But... Um, I wanted to make sure that if everybody hasn't seen the film yet, um, they at least got a little bit of a taste of it. So we're going to go ahead and roll the trailer um, featuring Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke providing some vocals throughout. Uh. Ah. You brothers, you could move mountains without lifting a finger. Uh. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. Who's the greatest? That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. All together, yeah. The entire city of Miami is celebrating. I'm the new heavyweight champion of the world, and I don't even have a scratch on my face. Oh, my goodness. Cash. Cash? Why am I so pretty? (laughs) Hey, congratulations, champ. I could get used to that. Uh, I was made in America, land of the free, home of the brave. This movement that we are in is called a struggle because we are fighting for our lives. This ain't about civil rights. They ain't giving black people what they really want. What's that? Hey, I was made in America. That's why I'm out here saving America. Power. Black power. I like the sound of that. Uh. I wish I lived in America. We have to be there for each other. Uh, heard everybody rich. All I gotta do is run, jump, kick. I'm a kid in your area. Uh, I'd have made it to America. Uh, I'm amazed uh, at America. Welcome to America. 
So real quick, uh, to start off a conversation, I wanted to go around and just talk about what everybody's main thoughts were in a nutshell. Again, as with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, none of us are black, putting that out there, um, as if you did not know that. But um, Ashley, what was your thumbnail thoughts about One Night in Miami? I thought it was one of the best ensemble movies I have seen in a very, very long time. I thought it was spectacularly acted. I still haven't read the play. I told you, I think last week that I was yeah. going to try and read it before we got to watch it, but didn't happen. Now I'm very excited to read it and kind of get to relive it and then hopefully rewatch the movie again very soon. Grace, what about you? Yeah, it was another one of those times where I was like, crap, I would love to see this on stage. I would love to see these guys do this on stage. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of other guys in New York and beyond that I would love to see do this. It was like a perfect, I mean, I likened it to Parasite where the entire cast from start to finish, I was like, every one of you, please get an award, get a gummy bear, get a trophy. I don't care what it is, but someone give you something because you are very important to me. And I really liked (laughs) it. So um, I thought it was a wonderful masterclass. It's one of those times that I hope that it's shown, you know, to acting students to um, just kind of go, Hey, each moment can be perfectly summed up each character. Like it was just really amazing. So Mm. can't recommend it enough. I'm glad we're talking about it, but yeah, my initial thoughts were, holy shit, it's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of that credit obviously goes to the actors, as you mentioned. But as I mentioned, this is Regina King's directorial debut, and it yeah. goes to show how important it is to have directors who understand what actors do. Um, yeah. And so often we see directors, especially first-time directors, who try to make the film or the picture or the TV show or whatever about what they can do as directors. And Regina King, since she is one of the greatest living actors in the world, understands just to do uh, enough to frame her cast in a perfect way and then get the hell out of the way. There are moments when she does some really impressive, like complex things, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But Mm. a lot of the times it is set up like a play they are in and around a mm-hmm. hotel room and um it she just felt l- so much like the pl- yeah, play absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. it was and- like the best pro shot we've ever yeah, seen pretty much <laughs> really it reminded me um a lot of the play for some obvious reasons mountaintop uh the mountaintop um uh, mm. by hall um mm-hmm. major black f- uh figure uh in a hotel room uh in the south for obvious reasons there's connections there but i also mm-hmm. think it's a beautiful companion piece to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And, I uh, wrote that nearly exactly in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about all of these things and more, but first, we're going to send it over to James to talk about our sponsor this week, ExpressVPN. We'd like to welcome ExpressVPN back to Broadway Radio. There are tons of VPN providers out there. You've probably heard of a couple of them, and some of you might even have used a VPN before. But I like to do research on my sponsors, and I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in. I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. 
Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Second is speed. I've tried lots of VPNs in the past. Many slow your connection down or make your device sluggish. I've been using ExpressVPN for a few years now and my internet speeds are blazing fast. Even when I connect to servers thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality videos with zero lag. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from other VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything. You just fire up the app and one-click button to connect. It's so easy that your grandparents could use it. And it's not just me saying this. Wired, The Verge, CNET, and many other tech experts rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and I trust. Use our link, expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio today, and get an extra three months free on your one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio. Visit expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio to learn more. And thanks to ExpressVPN for continuing to support Broadway Radio. All right. Thank you, James. Don't forget expressvpn.com slash Broadway radio for all of your VPNing needs. All right. So I want to get into this because the first thing, the biggest takeaway that I had when I watched the first time was how much I missed theater uh, because this feels so much like a play, um, which I think you two both echo. Obviously, it was originally a play. Um, yeah, let's run through the cast though, real quick. Uh, Kingsley Ben Adair plays Malcolm X. He also played, um, uh, Barack Obama in the James Comey series on HBO or whatever. Oh, yeah. There's a little bit too much Obama and his Malcolm X, but we can talk about that. Um, uh, Eli Gorey <laughs> plays Cassius Clay, who I thought was fantastic. Oh my God. Yeah. Aldous Hodge plays Jim Brown. Jim Brown is an absolutely horrible human being, and I'm sorry we didn't get some of that in this film. Um, But Aldous Hodge is quickly moving up the post-Friday Night Lights um, achievement ladder, which Clear Eyes, Full Hearts can't lose. Still haven't seen it. That's all right. Yes, Clear Eyes. Yes, and then Leslie Odom Jr. plays Sam Cooke. Joaquina Colacongo plays plays Betty X, Malcolm X's wife. Nicolette Robinson, Leslie Odom Jr.'s real-life wife, of course, plays Barbara Cook. Um, Then you get uh, special appearances by Michael Imperioli. Um, Bo Bridges as an absolute son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. Um, One scene, this guy, and... Yeah, yeah. One scene from the great Bow Bridges, absolute son of a bitch. But his character is actually based <laughs> on a real life acquaintance of Jim Brown's. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we also <sighs> saw Jeremy Pope play Jackie Wilson yeah. just in a one scene very, thing. Very um, surprising mm-hmm. and quick, but thrilled to hear him saying always. Yeah. So there are some theater folks in this cast. Um, Lance Reddick is also in it as Brother Kareem from The Wire, if you know Lance Reddick. Um, uh, but some theater folks in there, um, a, a very cool ensemble. Um, but, uh, Grace, I started with Ashley last time. Grace, where did you come down on feeling how this transition from, uh, stage to screen worked? Like, where did it work? I know you said it's like the best pro shot we've ever had, but why was it so good? I think, you know, when you're seeing something, and this is, I know, a very controversial take, but the reason sometimes I've enjoyed because of how I was, you know, brought up to watch theater a lot of times was on YouTube, unfortunately, um, was watching people's um, shitty, you know, like uh, recordings of a Broadway show, and you only get this like one view, right? And that's the way the Mm -hmm. director 
wanted you to see the show. And it's just this flat, like, you know, you're seeing every part of everyone move. I never thought that I thing when I was watching this film, like there was never a moment where I was, uh, oh, oh, why didn't, why didn't I see that? No, I'm getting to take in every single moment that the director wants me to take in of this character because each time we thought that there was going to be like one guy that kind of like took the reins of the play or the film. And there was never that time because yeah. each person had their big moment or, or had their, their story being told really well. So I never felt left out. Um, it felt like, yeah, it felt like a really, really great bootleg, which I know readers come at me, um, but <laughs> I, I thought that that's what made this film work, was that I felt like I was getting to see every perfect moment by Regina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ashley, where do you come down on um, this historical fiction um, uh, genre, so to speak. We see it a lot in theater, whether it's plays or musicals. What are your thoughts on that in general? And how do you think that this toes the line of creating interesting stories with real life people, but not actually having them based on real conversations that we know for sure actually happened? There's only so much you can do with something when you don't know what actually happens the way that this first of all play and then movie handled that and made it just this very introspective piece was it was really something i hadn't seen before historical fiction as a whole is always really interesting on the stage because you have expectations going into it and then you kind of have to leave your expectations at the door or, you know, abandon them midway through a show because you think yeah, this yeah, is yeah. going to happen and then it just doesn't happen. And you, you, you know, you're expected to go with the flow from there. Uh, I, I just, I love this one. I, as, as you said, Grace, I think everyone had their moment with this. Um, and you know, it was really striking to me that made it feel so much like a play and that everyone had their moment was that you would have these scenes where it was like, two on two and then you would have scenes with the full four of them and then you'd get these individual scenes where you know in the historical fiction vein you would see things that actually happen you would see sam cook's performance on the tonight show towards the end which was or at the end which was just we're gonna talk about that incredible (laughs) uh and you would you would you saw you know the spoilers you would see the firebombing of malcolm x's home you saw Mm -hmm. um jim brown going to film um so it included all of these real life moments while also creating this these fictional conversations that it felt like you were in the room the whole time, in the room where it happened. <laughs> get it, because Leslie Odom Jr. Um, I don't and get it. Well, I don't sorry, yeah, what was the end? I was gonna say. Oh, let me explain it for two and a half hours by sending <laughs> you to Disney Plus. Thank you. Yeah. So, what I thought was uh, really interesting about this is how, and I, I kind of framed it in the conversation of Ma Rainey because these are both historical fiction. Um, the film adaptations of plays based off real life, um, at least figures. I don't know if Ma Rainey's band, if those were real people or if those were amalgamations of just random. I don't think so. Band yeah. people. But Ma Rainey is obviously, uh, um, a super, uh, famous and important figure in the jazz right. world. But what I thought was interesting, and I don't know how I felt about it, the one misstep that I really, um, kind of felt with Regina King's direction is the film starts off with scenes that do not occur in the play. 
and they kind of show each of our four main characters, Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke, doing their thing in a way that kind of shows why they are important at that moment and how important they are to the rest of uh, of society and specifically um, how they fit into black society. And I felt that those and, dra- and and for that matter, how society was affecting yes, them. Yes, absolutely. Very, yeah, very good point. Uh, to me, though, I felt like those scenes drug uh, a little bit too long. Like they were, we were yeah, taxiing and waiting to take off. And I feel like that kind of plays out in in the conversations that we see in the hotel and around the hotel. The mm-hmm. one issue I had there is that we either. In it, when you're writing a play, and, and Grace, you are, are a playwright in your own right, you know, you don't want to waste anything. You don't want to waste dialogue. You don't mm-hmm. want to have anything just be there frivolously. But I felt like everything that happened in these conversations was super telegraphed, whether it was a conversation of some import where it was, you know, something was very deep and important, or it was something very much sp- setting up specific plot points to happen down the road. The thing that I loved about Ma Rainey is that there were just some conversations that built the relationships uh, of the individuals. And there were some in there with, especially with Cassius Clay talking about how beautiful he is, but it's Muhammad Ali. We know he thinks he's beautiful. So I, yeah. that was, those were some of the, if I had to talk about drawbacks, it was maybe the fact that we know these people so well. Um, we didn't need to see who they I were think, as individuals. Yeah. I wanted to know more about the relationships amongst them. And I felt like maybe because of those, you know, in those scenes at the beginning, setting up who they are. And then the, like the plot, like, I did this. I fought this person. I am a football player. Yes, I know everybody doesn't know all of these people, but it's like, maybe (laughs) pull back a little bit on those and show me more about their relationships. How did all of these people get to know each other? How do they become friends? What's their dynamic? dynamic? How's that change? That's my one negative nitpicky thing when it comes to that. Yeah, I think it was overwrought for sure. And I don't know, you know, if any of that changed in the adaptation, because again, I haven't read the play yet. So I don't know how much was changed, if any, and how they were setting up characters other than the beginning not existing um, from the play to the movie. Yeah, well, one of the the main storylines, and I think especially for Broadway fans, is um, the push and pull between uh, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke, who is a... Uh, at this point in the story, one of the most successful recording artists in the country, especially one of the most successful black recording artists in the country. Um, but as Malcolm X continually points out, he is somebody that, in fact, of the four of them, he's the only person that white people actually like. Um, <laughs> and the dichotomy of how Malcolm X and Jim and uh, Sam Cooke f- think that Sam should handle this is really, to me, the most interesting and powerful part of this whole yeah. film. And it's one of those things where you can see both sides. Like, I understand both. And I think at different points in my life and at different points in the history of the world as I lived through it, I would probably be on different sides of it. Um, but that central relationship to me was the heart of the film and, and Ali or Clay and Brown, um, were kind of the spice that added to it on each side. Grace, what, what did you feel about that relationship between, um, X and Cook? Yeah. So it's interesting because I think I just like also going back to one of your first points of like the setup of the whole thing. 
I think that um, as a play, you know, a writer, whatever, slash marketing person brain that I have, um, I think about the fact that a lot of people are what streaming this, right? And they're streaming mm-hmm. this maybe out of the excitement to have something new to watch, or, you know, uh, probably most likely they're going to recognize um, Leslie Odom Jr. And what are they recognizing him from? They're recognizing him from mm-hmm. the Hamilton on Disney Plus. And they're maybe not putting together all of the context of these people. And so I really appreciated maybe for this younger generation that was just tuning into this because they saw that Leslie was tweeting about it or whatever, that even if they don't, because of course, we've all listened to Sam Cooke. We're obsessed with that music. Like, you know, especially like the number that he does at the very end of the film. I've listened to it so many times and I've never once thought about the context. I'd never once thought about anything besides like, well, this is a great song, you know? (laughs) Um, So I I was also picturing the fact that like, you know what? I kind of like that they set it up to remind you that these real people existed. They lived in this time where they, they don't carry the same weight that they do now um, because it it was just, yeah, it's a totally different time. So um, I appreciated that for this film, for what it was doing, it's coming out on Amazon prime. You know, it's not a play where we all know Mm -hmm. exactly what we're getting into Mm -hmm. Um, or say, you know, sometimes we don't, but um, anyway, so I just want to say that as far as, um, you know, I actually did appreciate those uh, kind of overdone setups and any opportunity I have to see Michael Imperioli pop up and it's not on my Soprano screen. (laughs) I'm going to go for it. And he was in it for like 20 minutes at the beginning. So I was, I was thrilled. Yeah. And he Um, pops up by the pool too. Yeah. 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 Um, I know. (laughs) um, Actually, when you look at these four main characters and I used the pun, um, earlier that they are heavyweights, but these are at least three, uh, if not four of some of the most important figures of the sixties and all of culture, let alone in black culture. And I misspoke at the beginning. The film starts in 1963. This takes place in February of 1964. But what I found Mm -hmm. so interesting um, about this is, like I said, this takes place in, in February, late February, 1964. Um, uh, Sam Cooke is is murdered that December, right? And Malcolm mm-hmm. X, Malcolm X dies is the murdered. Following year. Yeah, yeah, just just under a year later. And I think because I knew that, and we actually did a Sam Cooke documentary on uh, True Crime Obsessed that kind of goes through the mystery of of who killed him and conspiracy mm. theories and all those things. Mm. Um, so I feel like the 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 specter of those two impending murders um, added a very important urgency and stakes to this. That, yeah, absolutely. That, that I felt like, especially Kingsley Benadere as Malcolm X felt and and yeah. portrayed because throughout this, Malcolm knows that his life is in danger, and I feel like that right, added right. so much depth and 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 i'm not i can't believe i'm going to say this word but pathos to what he was trying oh, to communicate wow. especially Hello. to sam cook stop it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's absolutely true there's this the part where he mentions you know the writer at the airport because malcolm x at the time knew that he had been 
he was being followed and knew very likely was going to be killed sometime in the near future. Well, essentially what I said about historical fiction and what you kind of expect to happen. So you have the eminence of Cook and Malcolm X's deaths in the near future, but also like the future of the movement as a whole and what's about what's happening at the time in the civil rights movement, what's about to happen at the time, especially with the Black Panther Party. And now, you know, fast forward 50 years to... 50, 60 years uh, to everything that's going on now. I I found it really interesting. And as you said, like that gave it some, you know, it it made it so much more essential in the moment. What I found really interesting that it wasn't, you know, the focus of the plot, like it wasn't written it wasn't written or written for the white gaze. So it's not primarily about pain or violence. Like I said, it's not introspective. It's not flashy or over the top. You're having these conversations where overwrought or not in their setup, they are discussing like, as they talk about um, power mainly and what that means to them and what they're taking for granted in their lives. And I just found that really fascinating. Yeah. And I think both of you have mentioned the performance at the end uh, that Sam Cook, Leslie Adam Judum does uh, on the tonight show with some, not very good impressions of Jimmy Carson and Ed McMahon. But I was going to say, oh, absolutely not. Oh my God. They were not good. Um, but what's the opposite of an Amy Sedaris character, <laughs> Grace? What's yeah. the man's version? Because it was. Oh, just kind of goodness. Yeah. I don't, I mean, yeah, it's like a Jim Carrey character. You're yeah. like, yeah. I would what is that? I would have taken the Phil Hartman and uh, McMahon in a heartbeat. But, uh, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah. Rest, in peace. rest yeah. in peace. Yes. Um, but so at the end of the film, the film actually closes with Sam Cooke uh, debuting a new song on The Tonight Show. And of course, it is A Change Is Gonna Come. And this really kind of shows his awakening to some of the things that Malcolm has talked to him about throughout the film, even though there are already things that he says he's already felt and thought about. Um, and he has a really nice scene. Um, is it, I can't remember if it was with Jim or Cassius where he talks, like he kind of opens up about his feelings about like, um, uh, the Bob Dylan song, uh, blowing in the wind, but Ooh, Cassius. Yeah. I it, it was Malcolm. It was Malcolm X and mm-hmm. Sam. We're talking about that. The whole Bob Dylan. Scene. Yeah. Well, but he, fi- he admits later on, like it really did bother him. Like he tells Malcolm that he uh, did. Oh, bother yeah. Him. Yeah. But anyway, so he does this performance, and this is why Leslie Odom Jr. is one of the best singing actors mm-hmm. uh, in the world. This is why he won a mm-hmm. Tony for Hamilton, because he just imbues this song with so much lived experience in pain that um, if you go through that and aren't moved by literally no movement at all, he doesn't move, mm-hmm. he grounds himself, he's got some hand motions, of course, but like, he just sits there and sings it straight at the camera and you can just see the pain and the heartache and the despair in his face. Um, it was absolutely beautiful and, you know, it's interesting that both this and Ma Rainey ended with, you know, famous, yeah. you know, or not famous, but like songs that we're familiar with for different reasons, but had very, yeah. very different um, reasons that they were impactful. Yeah, exactly. There's this like iconic line in the middle of the whole bit that I think just kind of encapsulated the whole argument between especially like Sam Cooke and Malcolm, where he's talking about how they're not using, you know, he's not using his voice to, to you know, be progressive for the movement. Sam's not. And he has this long 
gorgeous monologue and he turns around and he says, you know, I don't want a piece of the pie. I want the whole damn recipe. Mm. And in that moment, I was like, I've never, I just, that's it. That's just what this is. And that's exactly what Ma Rainey's Black Bottom also was saying is that we, we want control over every part of this artistic expression and not just, we're not, you know, just up there singing and dancing and then you can take it all. Like we want to be on every level of it. So I think that those moments, and then he echoes the same thing at the very end in his performance there. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I think that was also um, a paraphrased line from Hairspray as well, right? (laughs) Obviously. I don't want to pee someone the whole damn time. Yeah, they took that. Yeah, Uh, I can't remember if that was uh, Edna or uh, or, uh, It does a similar thing for the progressive uh, 60s um, movements, for sure. (laughs) They're the same. I I think that they both carry the same amount of weight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, (laughs) All right, so let's wrap up uh, this discussion here with... Um, with kind of branching off uh, from this, I, I put I'm going to put you on the spot because I didn't prep you for this. But in the in the vein of historical fiction, if you could either write or just make somebody else write, so you could watch it, um, a historical fiction play about any particular real life figures, who who would who would that be? Oh God. Oh, wait, I have mine. (sighs) Ashley, do you want to think about yours? Yeah. Go ahead, Grace. Go ahead. Okay. Unfortunately, I literally have this in in my brains. Um, Frida Kahlo had a weekend... Of course, I'm obsessed with her. (laughs) Frida Kahlo had a weekend uh, where she did a lot of a lot of her iconic uh, photographs were all taken by the same photographer. And I'm blanking on that person's name. Um, But I would love a play about that particular weekend where she's at Casa Azul or Frida Kahlo also. um, And the weekend that she housed uh, Leon Trotsky before he was assassinated. Hello. I do not have anything like that. And I love that. It's not because of Le Pen Agile, guys, but I could do it with Steve Martin's help. So please fund me at uh, Grace Aki is my Venmo. <laughs> Steve Martin uh, is a uh, Patreon subscriber, so I'm sure he's listening. Obviously, uh, and can help yeah. you out there with that. Thanks for thanks Thank for the paycheck, you. Steve. Yeah, um, Ashley. Anything from you? Don't say Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> very dare although, you. Although I will, say, you. I will say, I will say, a play set on. Uh, Oscar Hammerstein the second's front porch with him teaching Steve about little Steve about how to write a musical would be very very compelling and I would, would be I would watch the hell out of that there we go I stole your answer now All you're right. the one left Good. to do it alright I'm done cool you did it for <laughs> no, me no no that's not <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't I don't know that I have anything specific without, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of things in my brain. My immediate instinct went to Harvey Milk, but there's already a musical that exists by an opera, Andrew Lippa yeah, yeah. and an opera. Um, so I don't know what my specific moment in the life of Harvey Milk would be. So I, I don't know if this to- I don't know if this one counts. I don't know if this one counts, but. I like literally since I was probably 12 or 13 years old, I've always like the first time I've ever thought about writing at that, that point, it was a movie, but it's transformed over the years into a play. And I've never actually sat down to write it, but um, I want a stage uh, adaptation of the, the Billy Joel song, Piano Man, because he said all oh, of those, hello. well, he said all of those 
people are like based on real people that he um met while he was out in Los Angeles um yeah. sitting out his record deal and playing in a in a bar. So I can't believe in this conversation you've said Stephen Sondheim and Billy Joel before me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, I'll just do scenes from an Italian restaurant and just oh my God. steal your bits. That's, that's my favorite song in the world. So that's that. But <laughs> respect. All right. yeah. respect. We are so far off the beaten track of One Night in no. Miami. But no. <laughs> uh, I would just say that this is um, a wonderful film that is going to get a lot of awards consideration. I think Better. Leslie Odom Jr. needs to start finding a TV project so he can get that T for his EGOT. And uh, I think that's a very that, real possibility. You guys can watch e. Central Park yeah, right. on um, Apple TV Plus, <laughs> oh, yeah. and it's very funny and adorable. So there you oh, go. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I screwed up the E. Damn it, TV. T. Yeah, I you really did. You were like T for TV. TV is what I thought. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Good so, job. Good job. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> I am a professional. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Um, of course, if you want more Broadway radio in your ear holes or want to get it before anybody else does, head over to patreon.com slash broadway radio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Instagram at wow. Broadway Radio. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, this is Ashley. Grace? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Grace Akichan and on Instagram, Gracie Aki. All right, everybody, have a wonderful weekend. Don't forget to tune in to uh, this week on Broadway on Sunday, and we will be back to talk to you on Monday. <laughs> <laughs>